Good morning. I hope you're as excited as I am about the news that Rick shared earlier. I am praising God um, in big ways, and I hope you are as well. Uh, exciting, exciting times are in store as Jesus has continued to be proclaimed throughout RSM. I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Titus. And I'm going to be uh, jumping on in. Hopefully you got a roadmap and uh, have that because I might be referring to a couple of things that you'll see on there in, in just a moment. Uh, today's message I entitled, Not Supposed to Be a Secret. And um, uh, because uh, I put some slides together very last moment, um, I, I might have to at times uh, let Cindy know when to advance them or when just to stay right where she's at, okay? So uh, have a little patience, and that's, that'll be on me if uh, you see any things flashing or being behind on that. Uh, I wanted uh, to uh, get started and um, uh, go over what we've been going over in the pastoral epistles for two weeks ago, and now this will be the third week, our last time in the pastoral epistles. And so um, to recap from 1 Timothy, you'll see uh, Paul wrote uh, about the life to which the church is called. And that's what the focus was in that first letter to Timothy. And then in his last letter to Timothy, it was the work to which leaders are committed to. And now this book of Titus that we're going to look at today, which was literally, if you're going to do it chronologically, it would have been written right there with 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy and Titus were written right about the same time. And then 2 Timothy, as we talked about last week, those were Paul's last words that uh, we have recorded in Scripture. But today in Titus, we're going to be looking at the way in which the church is to accomplish God's purposes in the world. And so they're very similar. As I've looked at different commentaries throughout, um, so many of these are interchanging, particularly when there are different lists of leaders and, and qualities of leaders and the qualities of elders and um, bishops and overseers, pastors and teachers. They're so interchangeable. And we'll even see that again in, in the book of Titus, but I'm really not going to concentrate on that for us today because there's something else that uh, I, I believe that God uh, wanted me to focus in on and, and concentrate um, this morning with. And so just to, to get started uh, a little further about who is Titus? Well, we saw that, you know, he, he's a Greek believer. He was discipled by Paul. And so, again, Titus was, was looked at in the same way that Timothy was. Particularly when, when we look in, in chapter 1, verse 4, it says to Titus, my true son in our common faith. Titus had uh, traveled with Paul to Jerusalem. If you look at Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, in fact, Titus was an example of somebody who was a Gentile 
who did not have to become circumcised. And so Paul brought him along as an example to show to the, to the leaders in Jerusalem, listen, here's somebody, he, he's a follower of Jesus now. But he doesn't have to go through the rituals that we used to have, go th- we used to, have to go through before Jesus Christ came. So we see Titus way back then in, in scriptures. Also throughout in, in 2 Corinthians, uh, he was sent on special missions to Corinth. He was one who was to go and gather a special offering to take back to the churches that were struggling all the way back over in Jerusalem. So if you look throughout in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and chapter 7 and chapter 8, you'll be able to find Titus referred to as he's ministering side by side with the Apostle Paul. Paul referred to him as a living example of what Jesus Christ was doing in the different Gentiles. He was one of Paul's most trusted traveling companions and closest friends. And he was an ambassador for the Apostle Paul the church in Corinth when he was sent there. So now, here's this young guy, and he is sent, I kind of loved uh, on this, you know, uh, drawing, how it shows uh, Titus standing on this island of Crete, and all of a sudden, I kind of love, I just love how these guys illustrate God's Word. And it shows Paul in this little boat and, and you can look at it right there in your roadmap. He says, Crete is perfect. Now, I don't know about you, but first of all, how Paul could say Crete is perfect when what we know about them. But second of all, Crete is perfect. And in fact, Titus, I'm going to leave you here. Kind of like, a lamb thrown to the wolves. And you know what? You are going to share how leadership and how church structure is supposed to be because they really need it. (laughs) Yeah, no duh, Paul. You know, I mean, if I'm Titus, I'm kind of thinking, whoa, 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 no, you can't leave me here. Well, what what are you talking about? You, you, you can't do that. Paul, Paul, what are you thinking? But again, here's Paul, the Apostle Paul, who God had given him, given him the ministry of reaching Gentiles. He didn't pick and choose. Oh, those are pretty good Gentiles. Oh, I don't know. Maybe we'll get to them. But oh, we're definitely not going to get over to you. No, he looked as what an opportunity. The more lost a people group was, the more Paul, I believe, probably this is just my own conjecture, but I believe he was probably the most excited about. I think he was probably just going, oh, yes. If anybody needs the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's these Cretans. What an opportunity. He's probably in his mind just, Lord, thank you for allowing me to come. And thank you for the different churches that were established. That's at least the mindset that I think the Apostle Paul had. 
And so we look at this and, and you go, oh, okay, uh, Titus, you're a pretty good guy, but really? Well, as we saw on our sheet, you know, to be a Cretan, you were, you were notorious for treachery, for violence. And, and here's some other quotes I found from Polybius. It was almost impossible to find a personal conduct more treacherous or public policy more unjust than in Crete. And this guy, this guy had lived 600 years before this writing. Uh, Cicero, moral principles are so divergent that the Cretans consider highway robbery honorable. I mean, that's where they were at. All right. Yeah, let's rip somebody off today. Whoa. And you know, I've read different missionary stories. Don Richardson, with, with his book, The Peace Child, talking about warring tribes. I mean, it, it, it's like, yes, it, there's, there's a pride in being able to lie to other people. There's a pride in being able to, oh, yeah, come on in, friend, and then literally, physically kill them. You were looked upon heavily in your tribe if you could accomplish that. So the, the Cretans weren't the only ones. We can look back throughout history of different people groups. Some people even say that, uh, the Cretans possibly came from the Philistines, whether they did or didn't, who cares? The Philistines uh, had a pretty bad reputation as well, didn't they? And so all of a sudden, here, here they are. And, and then if we look in chapter 1, and again, we, we look at that quote, and we just see that in, in verse 12, even one of their own prophets, that was Epimenides, said this, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. And did you notice verse 13? Right after Paul quotes that, he says, this testimony is true. Yeah, that's basically who they are. Titus, I mean, this is what you got. And so you just kind of go, wow, um, pretty bad. And, and Paul's writing this book, and, and when he starts off in chapter 1, and, and he says, the reason I left you in Crete, look at verse 5, was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished. What was left unfinished is that the churches didn't have structure. And the, the Cretan culture and the Cretan philosophy of life was creeping on in. And so Paul's telling him... Um, I need you to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. See, this wasn't to one church. This was to many different churches on that island. So Titus was to go around and to go to each church and, and, and appoint elders. And then he describes what those men look like. And, and the reason why he had to do that is because we get on over in, in chapter 1 and we get to verses 10 and, uh, uh, through 16. 
And we find out, for there were many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. Now, we have an idea here that those of the circumcision group, and uh, we have another, a few other references when we drop down to verse 14, and it says, and, and pay no attention to the Jewish myths. We get an idea here that these are Jews. They could have been Jews who left and were dispersed when the persecution started happening in Acts chapter, in the, in the early chapters of Acts. So some of those Jews, Jewish Christians, could have come and landed on the island of Crete. Or they could have been believers that when Paul first came there and established these churches. All we know is that they were mixing in some really, really bad doctrine, some, some lies. And that's why Paul instructed Titus, you've got to appoint godly leaders. And, and you have that list. And so as we look at this, and, and these false teachers were doing it, and here's the thing, they were doing it really for money. So if they bring in their old uh, ways of doing things as a Jew, they could charge for circumcision, or they could start charging for the food, right? Because if you're controlling and you're saying, well, you can't eat this and you can't eat that, but hey, we've got this, you, know, you kind of cornered the market, right? And so they were doing all these things so that they could get rich. It wasn't to benefit these Cretan Christians. It was so that they could get rich. It would be as if... Um, and you know what, I have to be careful here because everybody's different and I don't want to step on some people's toes. But I can tell you this much. When I do a wedding or a funeral, people ask me, how much you know, do you charge? I don't charge anything. I don't charge anything. Now, other people, they, they do, and, and honestly, I, I'm, I'm fine with them. I'm just letting you know. For me, I, I don't, I don't want to charge for something. If, if people want to give me a gift, that's cool. I mean, it's not like I'm going to turn it down. I got five kids. Two of them still at home. So, I, I mean, I, I, I'm grateful and thankful for um, them offering me a gift and, and they're thankful for what I've been able to do with them and for them. But I don't charge. It just doesn't sound good to me to charge people for a service that God has allowed me to be in a position to do. Okay? So if I were to twist it around and say, oh, well, okay, yeah, you'd like me to come visit you at the hospital? Okay, well, yeah, you know, my time's really valuable, so that, that'll only cost you $25. Oh, you'd like to talk to me on the phone? Okay, well, it, you know, hey, it depends on how long. We can go in 15-minute increments, but, you know, maybe I'm going to be, uh, you know, $25 every 15 minutes. Oh, you want to come on in for a counseling appointment? Ah, well, you know what, that's that, that, going to be a little more. So that, that, we're going to have to bump that up to about 100 bucks. 
for about a 15-minute session. Is, is that all right? Now, I, I can't fathom that. I can't fathom that. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. But I want you to understand, that's the idea that was happening here. That these false teachers were trying to manipulate and, and take advantage of people to line their pockets. All right? And that's why Paul realized that this had to be addressed. Now, Paul expected the gospel, even in Crete, even in Crete to produce real godliness in everyday life. I love that he, he, he had that um, um, vision and realization. Yesterday, I wasn't in with the women for the breakfast, but I could hear them laughing all the way down where us men were meeting, and I know they had a great time. Judy did a wonderful job of, of sharing and encouraging and challenging. And, and in the men's breakfast, Jonathan shared his testimony, and we had a great time of being able to hear what God has done in his life. And... Uh, just the privilege I had as a father-in-law to, to hear that again was, was fantastic. And, uh, you know, in chapter 2, I, 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 I don't want to get ahead of myself, sorry. I'm just going gonna, gonna to stop right there. Um, but what they did yesterday was an example of what we're going to be looking at in chapter 2. But... Uh, by way of a theme, there's a couple different themes that I saw that other writers had written. And uh, one, uh, a, um, a scholar, Dwayne Litfin, he said, a special theme of the letter is the role of grace in promoting good works among God's people. In, in, in my ESV, a big old honking Bible, uh, it's got to be big because my eyes are having a hard time reading now. It says, the theme of Titus is the inseparable link between faith and practice, belief and behavior. This truth is the basis for its critique of false teaching, as well as its instruction in Christian living and qualifications for church leaders. And then this one that I put on up here, Gordon Fee, who's a scholar and a, a teacher, he, he just said, the theme is good works for the sake of the outsiders. He just narrowed it all down. And you know what? I, I like that so much today as we look further in God's Word. I, I'd like us just to stay focused right on in there. So good works, or in some uh, um, translations, good deeds or good actions. They all basically equal, they mean exemplary Christian behavior. Exemplary Christian behavior. Now, if you wouldn't mind, uh, I'm going to be going through probably about seven or, or so passages just to kind of help us to see and focus in on these good works. Before I get started... No, good works do not earn us salvation. That's already taken care of. Okay, so please don't go, oh, you're saying we have to you know, earn our salvation? Absolutely not. There's nothing you and I could do to earn salvation. That's already a given. 
But here's what Paul is instructing Titus and instructing us through his words. Uh, Look with me at verse 8. It says, rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Again, this is talking about an elder. You're thinking, oh, well, okay, that's not me. Uh, Stop right there. Don't don't think that these aren't qualities that all Christians should be uh, striving for. That these aren't actually, we're not off the hook here, folks. But what's focusing in on this is one who loves what is good. One who loves what is good is going to do something. We don't have time to talk about the difference between um, what teaching was in, in Titus's day and what teaching and education is in our day. Wow, I wish I I had time to kind of get into that. But very different things. Too big for us to try to wrestle with compared to all the other things that that I'd I'd like to focus in on today. But doing good works. Look at verse 16. This is in talking about the false teachers. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. They, 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 aren't, they aren't making any kind of positive difference, particularly for the gospel's sake. Look over with me in chapter 2, because we're, we're going to be hanging out there in a couple passages before we get to chapter 3. In, in verse 7... It says, in everything, set them an example by what? Doing what is good. Drop down to verses 13 and 14. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, what does it say? Eager to do what is good. That shouldn't be something that we have, oh, I guess I have to do something good. No, we're supposed to be eager to do something good. We're called to, we're called for something so much more than what this world values. Our purpose is so different from the world. And when I say the world, I'm referring to people who don't have the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We are called to do good works. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that. That's why we're made. Why? So that we can look good? No, so that God can look good. And again, that's what Paul's talking about here. Go with me to chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. Right? Now, there's some of you like, yeah, yeah, well, you know, that's not our rulers and authorities of our day. It's like, no, we're talking about Cretans here. 
So come on, don't, don't think, you know, we've got a handle on, oh, you know, the different political leaders who, who've been in charge and not, and then are, and then are vying for it. And hey, Listen, they're just as bad as, as when Paul is encouraging Titus to encourage and teach the people to be subject to the rulers and authorities. And then he goes on to say to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Drop down to verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to what? Doing what is good. So let me, let me hit that verse again. If you have a pen, underline, or circle, whatever it is that the Holy Spirit's saying, ooh, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God. Now, everybody in this room have not trusted in God yet. I realize that. I know that. I'm not stupid. But for those of you who have, it's just so that you may be careful to devote yourselves to what? To doing what is good. And then look at how he ends that verse. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone, not just for ourselves. And finally, drop down to verse 14 of chapter 3. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. So, why do good? Well, as we saw in, in, in that theme from Gordon Fee, for the sake of outsiders, for, for their sake. Look back at chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach. Now, here we go. Here, here's a little... It's not a progression, it's just a, an announcement of who to teach. You teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Older men, that's what we're to be learning, to be able to put into practice. And then look at, we go right there in verse 3, likewise, Teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the, who? the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one may malign the word of God. That's the outsider's who are watching our examples just like they were watching the examples of the Christians on the island of Crete in those churches. And if we do these things that Paul was encouraging Titus to instruct to the older and to the younger, 
says, then they can't, they can't malign God's word. They can't dispute it because they're seeing it lived out. So why teach the older men and the older women and the younger women these things? Right there, so that they will not malign the word of God. But look at, at verses 6 through 8. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. Now, here's that why. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. See, people can be bringing false accusations all the time. Let's make sure that we're doing the very best we can. We're not perfect. But let's make sure we're doing the very best we can to eliminate that possibility so that when they try to uh, attack us, they don't have any legs to stand on. Because our life we're putting this knowledge into practice. Now look at verses 9 and 11. Because he's hit the young and old men, he's hit the younger and older women. Now look at, he says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. Try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. Why? so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Guess what, folks? It's not up to you and I to convince somebody that they need Jesus. That's not our role. That's the Holy Spirit's role. But it is up to you and I to live our lives in such a way that Jesus Christ is attractive. We can't get off the hook for that one. Each and every one of us is called to be able to live that way so that in every way we can make the teaching about God our Savior attractive for the outsiders, those outside of our faith. Now, if we look at chapter 3. Look at right there. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle toward everyone. Why was Paul writing these instructions to Titus? Why was he? And, and us too. Why were we told to do good for the sake of outsiders? Well, look at verse 3. Here's why. And don't ever forget this. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. We were outsiders once. And sometimes we forget that. I love the fact that, that um, for uh, 
at least the breakfast, when we have different people share, they share their testimonies. And each and every one of us was an outsider. Some of us became part of the family at a very young age. Some of us didn't become part of the family until a lot, lot later. But we can't forget that story. We can't minimalize the fact that we have a testimony. It's not about trying to have a testimony that's greater than somebody else's. God saved me from so much more. No, we've all been saved from the same thing, the wrath of God. There is no more than that. Right? And so when we hear these testimonies, that's why I was referring to, to Judy and to Jonathan, because it just happened yesterday. It's such a great reminder that we need to be hearing and being reminded that we all were outsiders. We, too, at one time, were foolish and disobedient and deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We were outsiders once, but then look what Paul writes in verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of right things we had done. And I want to make sure again, here we come back to this. You're going to say, Craig, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. You're telling us to do good works. But right here, it says not because of right things we've done. We're talking about salvation in this passage. Salvation. This isn't saying, so yeah, you don't have to do anything else. Guess what? I'm, I'm going to try to do my very best to eliminate any excuse, any person in this room or in this church body could possibly try to say, as far as, well, I, I can't do anything. I'm going to tell you, I, I'm, I'm going to be in major disagreement with you on that. So he says, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of what? His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. The Trinity right here in these three verses, verses 4, 5, and 6. God, our Savior, the renewal by the Holy Spirit, and through Jesus Christ, our Savior. But don't leave off verse 7. So that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. We were outsiders, but because of God's mercy and grace, we became insiders. We became family. And Paul tells Titus and all of us why it is so important for us to do good. Look at verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Now, the application today the application of all this. Um, 
I'm super excited. And I'm, I'm, I've been in prayer about this for a long time. But um, our church is a part of Saturate USA. And Saturate USA, as you can see on the screen, it's a nationwide movement to reach the United States of America with the gospel. We have been so excited to send missionaries out to other countries, other places of the world, and, and to reach those people, those unbelievers, with the truth. And yet some people have, have felt as if, you know, we're neglecting our own uh, country. Do you know there's other countries that are sending missionaries to the United States to evangelize us? There's many countries that are doing that. And so what uh, Saturate RSM is, is uh, uh, about eight months ago, uh, I went with Tom Canavino and a few others from our church, and we heard uh, about this ministry, All Peoples for Christ. And what they're doing is they want to, to get a Jesus film into the hands of every single home in the United States. And, and so... Some of you might have noticed, some of you didn't. We have a map back there, Saturate Rancho Santa Margarita. Now, um, if you look at that map, it, it might be missing a few of the people down south in Los Alisos. But we have that map, and I want to explain what's going to happen. Um, our goal from from Saturate USA is to reach the city of Rancho Santa Margarita with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's almost 17,000 households in our city. 17,000. And uh, uh, I, uh, I could laugh and say I foolishly accepted or I'd like to think I joyfully accepted the opportunity for our church to, to do what we can to reach Rancho Santa Margarita. And so, um, do I think that our little church could reach all, almost 17,000 homes? You know what? The goal was to try to talk to other churches and see if they'd like to participate in something like this. And Steve and Val Montefiore are taking the lead on this. And, and contacting other churches, kind of, well, not right now, and, and no, that, that doesn't really work for us. And, and guess what? I've been sitting on this for like eight months. Okay? For like eight months. And, and yet now it just seems like now is the time. And so for us, our goal, to reach 5,000 households, we've made up 5,000 cards. This bag has a Jesus Film DVD, and it has a card, All Things New, Easter at Foothills Church. And it's an invite to people to come, and we'd love to have them join us. On the back it says, the resurrection of Jesus makes all things new. Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection is God's gift to all of us. This DVD, the life of Jesus, is our gift to you. Through Jesus, God offers peace, love, joy, and forgiveness. He offers new life. 
If you have questions about God, we invite you to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m., especially this Easter season as we celebrate the one who makes all things new. Justin Horry wrote those words, and, and I just love how he can capsulize and, and just, man, articulate in a short amount of words what we're all about. And um, a life group has already put together 1,200 of these. 1,200 of these. We still have another 3,800 to go. And yes, some of you are going, are you kidding me? Yep, the whole goal is to go and for us to take these to each household, to each condo, to each apartment in our city and to hang them on their door. And if we have an opportunity to have a conversation, wow. Some of you are going, oh, no. Well, just remember that Christ is with you. You don't have to be an evangelist. You can just say, hey, I just wanted to give you a gift and invite you to our church if you don't have any other place to go to during the Easter season. Some people say, oh, well, Craig, that's, that's a... It's not, that's a whole lot of effort for not a lot of results. Guess what? Um, they've boxed them in boxes. My bad. Boxes of 50. 50. Um, I think my neighborhood has more than 50, so I'm going to have to take a couple boxes. But the Cooper family is going to go around and put these in our neighborhood. My boys are up at winter camp. They're excited about it. They're saying, Dad, well, why can't the youth group do it? And we can make this a whole youth group project and activity. And I'm thinking, hey, you know, yeah, we can. But we're going to do it in our neighborhood. And um, can we do this in the next six weeks? Not in our own power, not in our own strength. Particularly when I see some of you sitting out there thinking, like, yeah, there ain't no way I'm going to do that. That's not up to me. I'm just showing you the goal. How, how, how can this be accomplished? It's got to be bathed in prayer. If we're not praying for this, it's not going to happen. Even if everybody gets involved, it's not going to happen. So one, please start bathing this in prayer. Number two, we got to package them. And then after they're all packaged, number three, we, we got to go door to door and hang them. And no, it's not like, hey, well, let's just have the youth and the kids. They can go do that. That'll be great. No, us. What did we learn today? Doing good works. Why? For the sake of outsiders. My specific prayer is that we're not going to get other people who are disgruntled at other churches. That we're going to reach those outsiders, those who do not know Jesus Christ. And check this out. If, if only 1%, if only 1% of, uh, of the 5,000 homes were to come, let's say just on that Easter, we would have 50 new households. That can be singles, that can be married, that can be with kids, that can be teenagers. 50 new households coming just if it was Easter. Let's just say 
that if you factor in singles and then marriage and those with kids and things like that, we could potentially um, double this attendance on one day if only 1% of the people respond. Folks, do you think God cares about our community, the lost in our community? Yes. If he cares about the Cretans, holy smokes, come on. Do you think this is worth our effort? No, 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 that's not me. You know, I'm I'm just going to, I want to challenge you to pray about that attitude. I want to challenge you about possibly becoming united. Your life groups, your Bible studies, your mug groups, whatever groups you're involved in. Hey, how can we get all of them together and rally around reaching Rancho Santa Margarita with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? If a half a percent responded, that's 25 new families. Aren't they worth it? I'm going to pray. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for Paul's words to Titus. I thank you that, Lord, he was faithful to follow through and to be a leader of leaders and to take on, just head on, those who were false teachers, those who were leading people astray, but he was committed to giving the true doctrine, the true news of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for um, the opportunity we have to be involved in something within our country. And we're just this little small city. And we're a little church. But I pray that you would touch the hearts of our people and that you would give them a God-sized vision and a God-sized goal and step out of their comfort zone to reach their neighborhoods, to join with, with other people that they're in groups with and strategize. Lord, I just thank you that you bless us with the privilege of being entrusted with this good news. And now may we do good with it and make it known throughout our city. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.